Granny Leo's attention was distracted by a persistent tock, 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 not unlike the sound made by a flower bolting machine. And she could not forbear glancing round her from time to time to see where it came from. Presently, she caught sight of a sort of box-like object fastened to one of the central pillars of the room, and a thing like a weight of a steelyard hanging down from it, which swung to and fro in ceaseless motion, and appeared to be the source of the noise which had distracted her. I wonder what that can be, she thought to herself, and what it can be used for. As she studied the strange box, it suddenly gave forth a loud dong, like the sound of a bronze bell or a copper chime which so startled the old lady that her eyes nearly popped out of her head. The dong was followed in rapid succession by eight or nine others, and Granny Leo was on the point of asking what it meant, when all the maids in the house began scurrying about shouting, The mistress! The mistress! She'll be coming out now! And Patience and Joe Ray's wife hurriedly rose to their feet. of Rereading the Stone. This is Kevin Wilson. I'm joined by my co-host, William Jones. Will, how's it going? Hi, everybody. Yeah, it's going great. Um, I've uh, just finished moving house, and that means that I can't find anything, and the entire place is a complete dump. Uh, so it's a great relief to take a break from, from lifting heavy things and, and building furniture to, uh, to uh, sit and discuss one of my favorite books. How about you? How are things there? Uh, things are pretty good, you know. Uh, just, you know, chugging along. Um, this week we are dealing with chapter six. We've made it through um, the famous chapter five, the dream chapter mm-hmm. of uh, Dream of the Red Chamber. Um, yeah. And so that was that was a pretty massive effort on our part. I felt like we were just breezing through it. Mm. Um, we're probably going to return to a lot of those materials again and again as we yeah. progress. Um, yeah, we were, we were only really scratching the surface, it felt like. Yeah, definitely. And and at the same time, you know, putting together maybe like, th- like three hours or so of material. Mm. Um, chapter six is sort of, I would say it's kind of the opposite. It's a breather chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some interesting material. Uh, it also seems to kind of, um, we've noticed before, I think, this sort of oscillation uh, between um, the more real chapters and the more um, surreal chapters. Yeah. And this one is definitely um, strongly in the former camp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very grounded in um, uh, in the real world and in the real world problems of ordinary people. Uh, should we just briefly summarize what happened in the last chapter and what happens in this one, just for just so people can kind of catch up? That sounds great. Yeah. So in in chapter five, one of our main characters, Jia Baoyu, who is a uh, he's a boy of about thirteen, uh, and he's you know. <clears throat> one of the the sons of this household, the 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 Jia clan. Whilst all the adults are sitting around drinking tea and drinking drinking wine and admiring the plum blossoms um, in one of the the many gardens of their of their enormous mansion, he decides he's tired and would like to go have a sleep. So he goes to have a lie down in a nearby bedroom, which belongs to his aunt uh, Qian Shi, and while asleep. He has a rather fantastic and elaborate dream in which he enters um, a, a fairyland called the uh, the Land of Illusion, and he is kind of given a tour by this fairy called uh, Disenchantment in English. And uh, while there, he has the chance to read through some registers, these these books um, that supposedly record uh, twelve beauties of Jinling, which is another name for Nanjing. 
Uh, and, and in this book, there are these series of images, rather striking images, uh, accompanied by short poems. And those poems are kind of riddles of a sort. Uh, so he reads through this, uh, and he doesn't really know what to make of it exactly. And before he can get too far, the fairy snaps the book shut because she's concerned that the information contained in the book, being a sort of prophecy, uh, would be dangerous to, to reveal to him. Uh, she then takes him off to um, meet some of her other fairy friends who have been practicing a, um, a kind of opera of sorts called, uh, in Chinese, Hong Lo Meng, the Dream of Red Chamber, uh, but, but which Hawks calls uh, the Dream of Golden Days. And this, this opera in, in 12 or so songs, uh, again, kind of tells the story of, of what's to come in the book. But because, uh, obviously, Bao Yu doesn't know the future, and because the reader hasn't read that far ahead, much of it is quite mysterious. Anyway, Bao Yu, having become in the dream, just like in real life, rather tired, goes off to have a lie down. And the fairy disenchantment reveals that she has provided for him uh, or, 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 or arranged for him to, to spend the night with and, and to lose his virginity to another fairy who is called, I think, two-in-one um, or Kerting. And indeed he does so. And then they wake up in the morning, uh, all kind of loved up, and they go for a walk. And then they very nearly fall into this something kind of like a pit of hell um, mm -hmm. um, because this is a, this mysterious uh, magical land. And uh, the fairy disenchantment catches up with them and tries to warn him that he mustn't go in there because it, it's, a, it's a kind of cavern from which he can not escape. Uh, and at that point, all of these monsters come out of the cavern and start trying to grab him and pull him down. And he's crying out for his new lover, Kerching, to save him at the exact moment that he wakes up. Uh, and the chapter just finishes by noting that his aunt, in whose room he's sleeping, hears him crying out this name, Kerching, which is what she was known as, as a young woman, but which nobody in the household knows. No one, because she, she joined the household by marriage, nobody knew that she had this nickname growing up. So it's rather sort of mysterious. And then in this chapter, we have much more kind of worldly concerns. Uh, mm -hmm. So a kind of very distant relative of the Jia clan or, or, or a family who are very distantly related to them, but now living in, in poverty as, as um, uh, peasant farmers outside of Beijing, uh, decide to pay the Jia clan a visit to ask for money. And they end up sending the, the matriarch of their, of their household, who's known as Granny Liu, uh, and so she goes to the household and she indeed does ask for money and receives it. Uh, and there's not a whole lot more to the chapter than that. But mm. I think what's particularly interesting is that there is, this chapter is kind of almost like a, there's a form of like, um, I guess, uh, literature and television from the UK, which is known as Upstairs Downstairs, which is about the lives of the aristocracy and their servants. Like in a sort of British manorial house, you'll have the upstairs, which is where the, the wealthy aristos live. And then the servants' quarters, the kitchens, all of those sorts of places are normally downstairs. And so the upstairs downstairs refers to these two parallel lives, those of the aristocrats and those of their servants, which interact, but often are kind of somewhat ignorant of one another. And in this case, you don't really have an upstairs and a downstairs, but you have almost the front door and a back door. You know, so the front door is the, the one used by the Chinese nobility and the, the back door is the one used by the servants. Um, Definitely that the spatiality of this, um, of this chapter really came to, uh, to the foreground. Um, mm. In a way, not entirely dissimilar with uh, Lin Daiyu's first um, entrance into the wrong household or the mm -hmm. wrong estate. But I guess whereas Daiyu was... Uh, kind of given the uh, a kind of royal welcome we see that uh yeah granny granny Liu or Liu lao lao she almost sneaks in the back um yeah. it took a lot of um a little bit of luck and a little bit of special pleading in order to um complete her mission yeah. so to speak yeah before we um talk about granny Liu, um we should talk about the beginning. Um, there's a really small section of this chapter that deals with um, 
basically what happens with um, Bao Yu after he wakes from the dream is subsequent um, interaction with the maid Hua Shiren that Hawks renders aroma, yeah. as in the aroma of a flower. It's only like a paragraph or two, but it's extremely important. I did want to mm. talk about what this scene represents, how yeah. it's very alien to us. Um, it's a really kind of a, a shocking glimpse of a world that really is unlike anything that most people nowadays, except maybe the very rich, would um, experience. Yeah. Um, it's also somewhat perverse, so we got yeah. to give the people what they want. One thing we touched on last week and the week before um, when discussing Chapter 5 is that that dream is very clearly about sexual awakening. But uh, at the start of the chapter, Cao Xuetian, the author, makes it very clear. Uh, he makes it extremely explicit that this was a wet dream because uh, Bao Yu has, in fact, ejaculated in his trousers. Um, yes. <laughs> right, so, so th this is a very material dream. And, and so yeah. we see the material consequences of, of the yeah. ideal um, material from the previous chapter. Indeed, indeed. Um, I also want to maybe just... Uh, I've gotten some comments lately, um, just online and elsewhere. When we speak of the author being uh, Cao Shui-chin, yep. this is sort of a theory. I'm not sure what the the current status is uh, of like, you know, among you know, redologists, uh, Hong Shui, yeah. um, scholars. Yeah, how many of them um, subscribe to the um, the thesis that this is in fact the work of Cao Shui-chin? Yeah, I, I I appreciate that that, that uh, you know that there is still a question mark over authorship, and I know that there have been various trends in in as you call redology over the you know two and a bit centuries since this was published, um, and um, and I understand it is still disputed, but I think just for yeah, as you say, for for, for convenience, convenience sake, I, I think when we, can... we say it's Altruism, yeah. we we mean the the author in this case. Um, yeah. And, and you know, as far as I understand, there's. It seems to me that generally there is consensus that Tal authored, uh, you know, was involved in the authorship of a significant portion of it. Um, I just want to add that caveat in response to some really helpful feedback we've gotten from from listeners. There's been a lot of attention lately, and so it's really exciting, um, mm. especially because this podcast. It's not like a. It's not, we're not doing news, mm. and so it's only it can only go up in a sense. Hopefully our comments will be a fraction as timeless as the material we're commenting upon. Hmm. Without further ado, yeah, so we were talking about um, this very uh, sticky situation. Yeah, so, so Bao Yu's woken up from his dream and he has exactly a, a, an uncomfortable wet sticky patch uh, in his trousers. And I, I think it's kind of, it, this was interesting to me because a lot of the ways that uh, sex has been addressed so far have been uh, kind of somewhat euphemistic or a, a, at least kind of delicately phrased. Mm -hmm. um, whereas here, what happens is as he's sleeping, some of his you know, clothes have slightly come loose. You know, the, the, the drawstrings on his jacket or something have come undone slightly. And his, yeah, his maid aroma is helping him to you know, get fully dressed again when her hand brushes against this, this kind of damp spot. This is what's so um, interesting, but also kind of strange about um, this whole social dynamic is that she's only a few years older than he is. Mm -hmm. What kind of relationship would this be where it's it's obviously so um, it's hierarchical. Mm -hmm. She's um, she's a servant, but also they're, they're basically the same age. Mm -hmm. um, so this, this is very um, this is very uh, foreign to, I think, the modern experience where there is an experience with, you know, when people, you know, after the, you graduate from school, you're going to probably be in a hierarchical relationship with um, with your boss and with other um, maybe public figures. But it, it wouldn't be, yeah, it wouldn't be from like such a young age. So she is a few years older. She has a sense for what, what happened, um, but she's also very embarrassed. Um, it's a really funny scene. But it's, it's yeah. also, I guess, touching in a way um, because Bao Yu is able basically to relay the contents of the dream. Mm -hmm. And so this actually produces a, you know, a, a great intimacy that I, I think is going to continue throughout the novel. Yeah, so he wakes up from um, this dream where a fairy educates him about what sex is and he's ejaculated in his trousers while he was sleeping. And then, yeah, he wakes up and he relays the contents of the dream to his made servant aroma and then decides he wants to try it out in real life with her 
and she's amenable to this. Although I, I don't know that that this part made me kind of somewhat uncomfortable because yeah, yeah. you can't tell really whether this is intended to be wholly consensual uh, or whether it is exactly that, like a function of the uh, the power dynamic between them. Um, I, I mean, the line in the Hawks translation is very um, what's the word? Maybe sketchy. Hawks, as it rendered, uh, Aroma knew that when Grandmother Jia gave her to Bao Yu. She had intended her to belong to him in the fullest possible sense. Mm. And so having no good reason for refusing him, she allowed him, um, after a certain amount of coy resistance, to have yeah. his way with her. Yeah. Um, which, so, you which know, yeah, does, like, it, it's extremely unclear whether this is, you know, she, whether it's a, a sort of consensual thing where, like, you know, despite the, the, the power dynamic, the, the dynamic between them, mm. by by virtue of them being in this um i guess being around one another every day and being of a similar age and you know being attracted to each other they decide to enter into this sexual relationship or whether it's whether it's much closer to he is the pampered son of a great household uh and she is the servant girl who has kind of no no real right no rights no power to refuse um and it's him kind of imposing it upon her it's not really clear it's a big, this is real yeah. literature. This isn't young adult um, material. This is uh, this is real literature. It's going to be ambiguous. Um, mm -hmm. And I guess Apple Podcast was right. This is an explicit podcast. So we have that E, which I, I think is just from you like uh, saying shit in the oh, first no. episode. <laughs> That's my theory. But like oh, no. you know, it was inevitable. I think. Um, oh no, I'm I'm sorry. So I'll mind my we language. Have the e, we can we can lean into it. Even <laughs> if that means we're like we're probably banned in um, India and. Probably a few other places as well. Um, um, you just have to pirate it instead. Yeah, yeah. There's always a way. <laughs> Where there's a will, there's a way. Um, yeah, and so I've been thinking a lot about just what this relationship means, and, and I, I think it's it's supposed to be. It's supposed. It's even at the time it was written. I believe the author was was kind of presenting it as something ambiguous. So th this isn't merely our modern um, our modern perspective um, looking aghast at a different value system. I think even the author had a sense for the ambiguity of this yep. um, arrangement. Uh, and do we also think that this is maybe Sal or whoever the the author was, um, you see, it's, yeah, <laughs> like relaying or like like kind of thinking back to an experience that he would have had growing up? Do we think this is sort of prevalent among like the wealthy nobility of China at the time that their 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 sons were all just having sex with their maids? I mean, it just seems like if you have a young boy who's mm -hmm. coming of age and yeah. you give him a maid who's attractive and roughly the same age, it doesn't take, you know, a, a lot of foresight and deep knowledge to know that something's probably going to happen there. Mm. Given the intimacy, given the age, given the um, seclusion. And so it, it really is a question, yeah, like whether this is something that actually happened or whether this was a common fantasy, right? Maybe, oh, yeah, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. Right. Maybe maybe it's it's playing to a fantasy of the time where, I mean, more likely maybe your maid would be someone more like uh, Granny Cleo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so exactly. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's like a male sexual fantasy. Mm -hmm. You wish that your, mm -hmm. your maid who dressed you and did everything for you was also your sexual partner. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's a good transition, actually, because we go from the, the, the land of real fantasy, right? Because so, it's mm. still kind of in this fantasy space, maybe, right? Yeah. Even though it's material, even though it's uh, dealing with, you know, the consequences of um, the dream. Then we go to, um, to Granny Liu, whose, whose presence, whose, whose like, mission uh, is predicated upon her lateness of age, the fact that she was outside of the space of desire that's why she's able to even though she's of such low status she's almost able to use the confucian kind of respect for elder one's elders as like a, a passport into a space that arguably she doesn't really belong in yeah absolutely that's my kind absolutely. of reading of the of, of this chapter yeah i think that that's true i took a pretty like straight read of it you know just that it's mm -hmm. it's on its face just an interesting depiction of well, what it would have been like to be not at all wealthy peasant family in those days, the material difficulties you would have to face, but also the numerous indignities, both large and small, that you would encounter 
just trying to get by, you know? So why are we talking about them in the first place? Basically, it, at the start of this section, the author explains that um, there are maybe 300 individuals in the, in the entire Zhong mm. branch of the, of the Jia clan household, once you take into account all the family, all the servants, you know. And so there are many different things happening, you know, various things of importance, and, and it's, it's easy to kind of get lost in that mess. Uh, and he wants to talk about one incident particularly. So this is, there is one branch of the Jia clan that's linked with a family called the Wang family by marriage. Mm. So, you know, among these, you have um, uh, Lady Wang uh, and also uh, Wang Xifeng, Peppercorn, Peppercorn Feng, as she's known. Yes, yes. Who is, um, as we will see more in this chapter, kind of a member of the family, but also sort of responsible for, for running the household. Now, there was another, another man uh, also called Wang, uh, Wang Cheng, uh, who we understand is, is maybe in the loosest possible sense related to these Wangs who are joined by marriage to the Jia clan. Exactly, yeah. But, but I mean, we think that in reality there's no actual blood link. I mean, I think it's important to point out that Wang is probably one of the most common surnames in China. Um, right, yeah. And so, uh, and so, you know, possibly there's um, some shared ancestry between any two people called Wang, but in all likelihood, not. And so it seems that this this guy, Wang Chang, seems more to have kind of inveigled himself into that um, position. The thing is that basically he is what, um, he held a small official post in Beijing through which he became acquainted with the, the, the Wangs who were, who were joined by the Jiaz in marriage. And through presumably cultivating a relationship with them, managed to uh, establish a degree of connection, basically. But since then, his family have fallen on hard times, and they um, are now kind of scratching out a living as peasant farmers in the countryside. Exactly. It might help to remind uh, listeners that the really important Wang that um, Liu Laolao comes to see, Granny Liu comes to see, uh, and d- doesn't actually get to see in person is none other than uh, Jia Baoyu's mother, Wang Furen, or Lady Wang. And she's married to Jia Zheng, who's the, the second son of the Rongguo branch, basically. Yep. And Jia Zheng is the one really um, more in charge of, um, e- even though he's the second son, he's more in charge of the, the households, of the greater households' um, affairs. Uh, affairs. Because yeah. um, Jia Xie is, is the one, is the profligate. Um, yeah. maybe um, licentious and less reliable um, older brother. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the connection ultimately to um, this very um, insignificant, poor, uh, this other Wong clan yeah. who only has this connection through um, these grandparents at, at a very distant time yeah. sharing a government post. Yeah. So, so it's exactly that, isn't it? There's this great rich family and... The wife of one of them's dad's relative was the grandfather of the characters we're talking right now, kind of thing. Like it's 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 this incredibly, you know, you know, it's when people say, "Oh yeah, my mum's cousin's friend's old neighbor was such and such famous person." It's like that degree of of um, mm-hmm. it's that yeah. degree of uh, of familiarity, you know. So anyway, so we have this family. There is. A man called Goar, and he like Go is like dog, literally. It's like dog son, but but I mean I think it's supposed mm. not to be interpreted in that sense, literally. You know, Hawks doesn't translate that. I don't think it sounds as bad in Chinese as mm-hmm. it does in English. Even if you were an agricultural family, I don't think you would name your son dog per se. Yeah. It comes off as very. Uh, extremely crass and there's a sense even I, I think in Chinese that it comes off as a little bit crass but if you think about I mean there is a, a history of dog related names actually Adolf is like a, a noble dog I did some searching online for dog related English names Randolph yeah. as well you also think of wolf which is a, a kind of dog essentially yeah. and you have things like um, wolf could be a last name mm-hmm. also uh, Wolfgang 
even some of the older the Grecian gods like uh, or Grecian figures like like Herges has a, the meaning of I think some kind of wolf. It's not utterly far fetched, I suppose. Yeah, but I think that's why Hawks doesn't translate Goar. Mm-hmm. He doesn't translate uh, Goar's sister Chingar, who also I mean Ching is so Ching is again the green. But also mm-hmm. the um, the color of nature, and also it's related to the desire that we've spent a lot of time talking about. It's the same, yeah. it's at least homophonous with um, yeah. Ching in the sense of desire. I was kind of surprised that um, Hawks didn't translate that either. Mm. And then the, this guy's son is called Banar, and Ban being uh, like a plank or something. I mean, that, yeah. that, that sort of thing. Uh, so, I mean, it's like there was this, uh, this guy, Wang Chung, who was a minor government official and he had a son called dog and his son dog had a son and daughter called plank and green um would be a very very literal way to interpret i suppose mm-hmm. um i suppose not completely accurate but but i guess i suppose the author is maybe making a point about how different these characters are from the more kind of rarefied air that we've been breathing to date yeah amongst the the, the rich and noble yeah, yeah, it, it can't be a coincidence, um, and, and we're also going to see that just in the way that Granny Leo speaks. It seems to be really an authorial focus, mm. Um, mm. and the reaction to the elite reaction to her uh, more provincial style of speaking is really um, is really showcased, I think, by the author very consciously. So we have Wang Cheng, who was the minor official who managed to you know, establish some form of familial relationship between him and the Wangs that are married into the Jia clan. His son, Goar, his two children, Banar and Qingar, he married a woman who we only know is surnamed Liao. We don't know anything more about her than that, I don't think. Mm. Uh, For example, I don't think we ever find out her name. But this wife's mother, Granny Liao, Liao Lao Lao, is uh, an old widow who has a little bit of land of her own, but on the invitation of her daughter and son-in-law, she comes to live with them to help out raising the kids because they're both busy with farming and things during the day. So it's the five of them living together uh, as a family. And winter is coming on. And the son, Goar, is hasn't, you know, made the necessary preparations for winter presumably you know getting food in and and planting various crops or harvesting various crops and instead is taken to drink to um allay his anxieties and unsurprisingly he's been unable to drown his sorrows and it's just made him you know uh, angry and abusive towards his wife so granny though decides that enough is enough and somebody needs to do something and she says well what about those rich Wangs that you're related to in the capital, can't we go and ask them for some money? And there's a kind of back and forth. And eventually they decide that Granny Liu should go herself and she should bring the her young grandson, Banar, um, with her. And they should go under the guise of just paying a visit and paying their respects uh, to their relatives, but obviously with the not particularly well-hidden motive of um, asking for some money. And they, and they basically leave the next day. Yeah. You mentioned briefly before that we can see not just in the names, but the use of language that uh, the author is making a point about how different the um, the lives of the kind of Chinese peasantry uh, are to the lives of the of the nobility that we've been exposed to so far, and it's really really clear in the in the use of language. I saw you'd mentioned this um, before, but there was one phrase that really jumped out at me, and I think at uh, you as well, which is "la ying shi," literally to do a hard shit. Uh, to do a, to do a you know, and I was so baffled by this. I didn't really understand what it meant at first because I mean, you obviously understand the literal meaning, but the the euphemistic or you know, uh, like metaphorical meaning is 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 not not as immediately clear. Um, um, what what was your kind of interpretation of this? The Hawks translation again. He's a little bit too polite, a little too reserved to fully capture you know the essence the. Um... The intensity, if you will, of Granny Leo's style of speaking. She's talking to Goar, and she's like, "Why can't you go and do what you have to do, even mm-hmm. if it means to beg? You have to, you know." He's too proud. Is basically what's happening. And so, in the Hawks translation, it reads, "It's only because of late years you've been too stiff-necked." 
to approach them that they have become more distant uh, with you. What he has is stiff necked uh, is actually, you know, you've been, you think you're like tough shit, you know, yeah. or, or like, and, and so actually if you, if you do a little research, these three characters is kind of referencing a longer um, set expression, uh, which I don't think is extremely popular. And it might be um, particular to the, the Northern kind of like the Beijing region, which basically if you have it in translation, it's something like um, a lean donkey has a tough shit, a hard shit in order to show off. Uh, I see. Even in the um, extended form, it's still pretty crass, a little mm. unusual. You're not sure if this is based in some kind of um, Dulin uh, donkeys. Is there shit harder than <laughs> horses? Yeah. Or um, some other kind of um, comparable animal? Yeah. I guess the idea is, you know, um, of like face and an unwillingness uh, to lose face. Uh Almost the idea that like you'd rather die than to accept guilt or blame. Yeah, it's a kind of doubling down on your um, on your losses, unwillingness to to accept that you know you need help or, or you know you're you're not self sufficient. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's a it's a stubbornness. Um, I just think it's it's a kind of fascinating um, use of words um, because it's a world away from. The more refined language of the upper classes, and mm. so it's vulgar. It's rooted in the ordinary life of the peasantry as well, I suppose. Mm. Um, you know, it's not talking about you know dragons or fairies or any kind of legendary mythical thing, or expensive rocks and jades and uh, various forms yeah. of wealth. One thing I did just want to touch on actually as well is the fact that they use uh, when they say we, us. They say salmon rather than woman. So, so zan, uh to mean us is again like a, it's, well, it's something you hear more commonly used in Northern China. And I think it is also a little bit more of a kind of common and vernacular way of expressing it. Um, and so I think that also is a, is a, a small kind of signifier of, um, I guess, of their class. I think so. Yeah, on the level of language, the distinctions are uh, are pronounced. Yeah, um, maybe as much so, if not more so, than on the level of um, of dress. Yeah, there's actually one interesting parallel. Just to just to take this a step further, which is there is a a kind of idiom or turn of phrase that Granny Leo uses twice uh, in this chapter. Mm -hmm. Once in this stage, and once right at the end when she's speaking um, to uh, Wang Xifeng, the mm -hmm. the um, the mistress of the of the wrong household, the the kind of one responsible for managing it, and yeah. the phrase is uh, in the Hawks translation. It's something like a one of the hairs from your arm is thicker than our waist, which is to say, a very small amount of generosity from you goes an incredibly long way for us. Right, and and so uh, so in the Chinese, it's ba gen han mao. So if you pull out a thread of literally cold hair, but you know. If you were to pull out a single hair, in the in the first instance, she says, "Be zaman de yao hai zhuang," so it's thicker than our waist. But when so that's when she's addressing her own son-in-law, right? When she says the same phrase later in the chapter to uh, the mistress of the household, she says "woman" rather than "zaman," which I think is like not accidental. So you can see that. She's using exactly the frame, same phrase, except for changing one single character, and it's that one usage. So I think she even recognizes that this is saying "woman" is a, a more like uh, formal or or kind of uh, appropriate way of expressing us, we, uh, when addressing your kind of um, your class superiors, I suppose. Right, right. Either way, um, the reaction to these her like her metaphors is definitely negative there's something very shocking and raw about um the way she speaks yeah and so actually in, in a sense i really think hawks kind of um he has the same reaction in, in a sense and so he he really pretties up the language a little bit mm. um almost taking the side of the elite uh wrong household i like guess it's worth it to yet yeah, to dig into the original and to, uh, to see what what the original expression was mm. How about we, we kind of talk about uh, Granny Leo's arrival at the the wrong estate? Yeah. Because um, this is, again, this this kind of like geographical model. She arrives first at the, the front gate, right? Mm -hmm. 
and there's a number of men just sort of um, chatting it up uh, in the front. Yep. How would you describe them? Maybe bolsterous? Yeah, there's actually a really, really good phrase, uh, which I've, I, um, I want to just pull out. Um, so they're described in Chinese as Ting xiong die du zhi shou hua jiao de ren, which is quite a long phrase, but it sort of describes exactly the type of people they are, right? So Ting xiong means to to kind of like throw one's chest out, you know, to puff up one's chest. Die du is literally like piles up fold, like folds of belly. So you kind of imagine that they're like they have big bellies like i suppose demonstrating that they're well fed and in fact rather fat um and they're sort of like sticking them out you know to to kind of show it off and then they're described as which is to point with the hand and to paint with the foot uh yes, literally yes. but but it means to be gesticulating you know and 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 so mm. these are people who are yeah it's a group of guys who are i think they they think rather a lot of themselves they think that they are, you know, a big deal, and they're probably holding forth on one subject or another uh, with, well, with that kind of um, <laughs> rather ironclad confidence that um, uh, men tend to have when discussing certain subjects. And so, sure. I mean, this is really almost the worst, um, the worst initial start for Granny Leo, uh, because they're absolutely not the sort of people who would, you know, would help her out. Yeah, yeah. And they really, at first, they don't help her out. Yeah. Um, they direct her to another gate, basically mm. at the corner. And they're like, well, maybe. So she's looking for, um, I think it's like Joe Daye. Yeah. The the head of the Joe household, who, yeah. again, through some connections of, of her own, they think he's going to be the one to um, introduce her to um, to Lady Wong. Yeah. Uh, but uh, unbeknownst to her, Mr. Joe has traveled south, uh, accompanying some of the, a few members of the Jack clan. So, so he's not there at the moment, yeah. but these self-important puffed up guys uh, outside the front intentionally misdirect her. Basically, so, yeah. So they say, go and wait outside that gate and he'll come out in a second, kind of thing. But thankfully there is a, an older man nearby who, you know, calls them out for, you know, deliberately misdirecting her and explains exactly that, that, you know, he's off down south. But if she goes around the back gate, she can she can find Joe Ray's wife. The Joe house is actually located in the back part of the the rearmost compound. Yeah, and so now she's going around back, which again is in stark contrast with uh, Lin Dayu's entrance through the you know the main gates. Mm. Uh, so she's going through the servants' quarters essentially. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before she enters, she has to ask the way once more, and. So when she gets around to the back of the mansion, there's uh, various kind of street peddlers selling uh, food and toys and things. And um, there's also a, a kind of gaggle of young kids in the street. Yeah, like 30 of them or so. Uh, it was a, 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 a veritable swarm of, of children. Yeah, yeah, you can imagine the noise. Um, and so she grabs one of them and um, she says, where does Mrs. Joe live? And the child says you know which there are loads, there are lots of mrs joes around here which one are you looking for uh and she says well the one who's you know servant to the the lady of the house and and he points in the right direction uh in the hawks he uses the phrase her ladyship uh which i think probably hits it about right because in the chinese yeah. the phrase that she says is literally just ta shi tai tai de pei fang. so she mm -hmm. is the Mrs. or the 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 lady's servant, um, uh, or, or rather, she accompanied her. She 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 accompanied her when she came here. The Hawks translation gives it a kind of feudal um, connotation, but I think that's absolutely correct. Mm. But I just think it's interesting that she doesn't even need to say Lady Wang or anything. She just says she just has to refer refer to her as Tai Tai as like the wife, the lady, um, and right. and the kid knows who she's talking about. So so it's. A, small point but it just does again like uh, it kind of reminds you of the kind of significance uh, the importance of this family everybody knows who they are you know everybody knows how important they are 
I kind of wanted to give a quick like, and so I, I've been emphasizing liminal analysis again and again. And here is again a, a very uh, significant liminal transitional moment, right? Mm. Because we're basically trying to get across a wall. You know, if you imagine it kind of in terms of like a strategy almost. Uh, they chose Granny Liu on account of herself being at this like liminal age where she is no longer, you know, an object of male attention. Mm. And she's also no longer uh, a threat in the same way uh, a strange male might be. Uh, so she's able to she's able to be the one, the agent on, on account of her liminality. And, and now she's trying to get over the wall. And, and of course, the men in their prime who are in this engaged in this kind of competitive um, mm. manner of speaking, uh, they have nothing to do with her. It's only the old man in the group who is able to step aside and, and you know give her some like real information. And then around back, it's only the small child who, again, hasn't entered into the main stage of life. He isn't part of the competition yet. And he's the one who's able to give her, again, the crucial bit of information. Ah, interesting. That, uh, and and he, he also just projects his voice over uh, over the wall, and this this final act, which is again, I think maybe only a child would would be willing to do that, perhaps maybe mm. it's and that's finally what uh, you know if you approach it in this kind of this video game sort of like how do you how do you achieve the task? That's the the final um, yeah you know the, the final move yeah no that's um, a, it's a very good it's a very good point to consider. Um, I thought of something sort of similar, I guess a related point, which is. You can see in this one section, or in in this in this chapter, you can see all of the many different levels of, I guess, kind of class status stepping down in 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 layers. So you have the you have someone like Granny Liu who is very very low down on the list, and as we'll see, she goes to see Zhou Rei's wife, who is a servant, who we think is probably one of the kind of maybe one of the higher servants, but definitely not one of the highest, and then. So, so there, there are these multiple different relationships of deference to authority and condescension to your inferiors between all of the different people. Uh, and even with someone like Granny Liu, who we consider to be kind of way down on the bottom of the list, yeah. you can see that her attitude to the kind of street kids is a kind of reflection of the relationship of her kind of class superiors to down towards her. Uh, you know, so it's an incredibly there's these incredible layers of sort of i guess sort of social difference social inferiority and superiority on display here and that i find really fascinating so the kid calls over the wall and says Zhou da ma there's an old lady here to see you and she doesn't immediately recognize granny Liu. <laughs> no she does not yeah it takes her a while to 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 realize who she is and Granny Leo is constantly kind of, um, you get the impression she's been like self-deprecating her entire life because she's really good at it. Yeah. Um, and she says something to the effect of, let me see if I can find, oh, important people have short memories. That's the Hawk's translation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wouldn't expect you to remember the likes of us. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, a very, it's a very good point. The, the, there is one thing I want to just touch on, uh, which is, Jorey's wife, as she's known in the Hawks translation, is never addressed as anything or never referred to as anything other than Jorey's wife. In the Chinese, mm. she's Jorey Jada, which is Jada here being what, just a word for wife of one of your households, basically, literally belonging to the household. Yeah. And it's so strange because we never meet Jorey. Like he's away in the South. I was trying to think, what's an English word that has the same feel as Jada, as wife? Like an old, an old kind of um, term for... That's a difficult one. Uh, have you ever heard the expression, uh, her indoors? Is that an old, like an antiquated expression? Oh, her, her indoors. Yeah, I, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've not come across it, but I can, I can definitely imagine the sort of the context to which it belongs. Yeah. I did a quick like internet search for you know um, euphemistic names for wife, and, and that, that was one of the ones that seemed like the closest has the same kind of metonymical uh, quality to it. Yeah, I think that that's that's of the house. Yeah, know. that sort of that sort of captures it, doesn't it? It's it's I mean, it's not so much pejorative as it is just outright dismissive. You know, mm -hmm. um, it. It, it, you know, it ascribes like no real autonomy or significance to her. And I suppose that's also a deliberate choice on the part of the author, because as we're going to see, she does, she, you know, she's very important in this, in the scene, in, in, in helping Granny Leo to get what she wants. But I suppose, 
you know, it's something of a comment on uh, treatment of of women and particularly, uh, I suppose, married women, uh, if they're not nobility themselves at the time. Yeah, of being kind of, yeah, rather sort of dismissed. It's good to try to find these kind of cross-cultural parallels, I think, in order especially to avoid um, yeah, like projecting and engaging in kind of a one-sided um, analysis, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm always looking for parallels to um, to make sure that what might seem um, distant isn't actually um, something that we, we've just become um, acquainted with. Yeah. So, so after Joe Ray's wife recognizes Granny Leo, you know, she asks after her and, and, and her family and things, and, and they have a kind of a bit of chit chat. The author describes it as xianhua, uh, so sort of like relaxed, relaxed yeah. chat, or like implying sort of, you know, leisurely and, and not particularly important. Mm. And then she, you know, kind of turns to the question at hand and she says, Oh, so, you know, what are you doing here? Are you just passing through, or have you come especially to pay a visit? And Granny Liu, uh, in her, self-deprecating kind of diplomatic way she says oh in the hawks translation she says well of course first and foremost we came to see you but we were also hoping to pay our respects to her ladyship if you could take us to see her that would be very nice but if that's not possible perhaps we could trouble you just to give her our regards even if we the reader didn't kind of already know what was going on here it's abundantly clear um and Joel Ray's wife very quickly identifies exactly, you know, uh, what she's what she's sort of driving at. But I do think it's so kind of mm -hmm. funny that it, it's the, the thing. The reason why this resonated with me is because um, it's remarkably similar to um, some of the sort of etiquette and forms that I think a lot of British people have when speaking, um, <laughs> okay. which is to be highly indirect about things. Um, and yeah, sort of to, to approach things in this very polite and somewhat euphemistic way uh, and, and rarely to come straight out and say it, you know? So she could never hear just say, oh yeah, we've come to ask the old lady for some money. It's obviously we're here to see you, you know, I, 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 because that's just something I would do. <laughs> what could be more enjoyable than like, you know, walking for several hours uh, just to, to, to have a casual visit with you and, and leave it at that? Oh, and also if, you know, the mistress of the house is here, it would be nice to just say hi, but no, no, no problem if not kind of thing, you know, it's, it's... And so I've noticed throughout this chapter that there, hmm. uh, there are a lot of religious, um, there's a lot of religious symbolism and it's always connected with basically with uh, Granny Leo's experience of, of their wealth as almost like a religious experience to her these images go back and forth and so actually joe ray actually says to uh, granny leo you know after you've made such a long pilgrimage we won't let you go home without seeing a real buddha yeah referring of course to you know uh, to lady wong to you know the the lady of the household who actually she doesn't see in the end um but she comes very close she sees you know one of the buddha's disciples namely wang shifang mm -hmm. who who is charged with the task of um dispensing some tales of silver. Yeah. And, and so basically for her to um, complete her mission, so to speak, for Granny Leo to complete her mission, Joe Ray's going to help her and she's going to find the ideal time to present Granny Leo to Wang Shifang, mm -hmm. who has, you know, a very, she's very busy, even though, again, she's very young, maybe 18 or 19, is that correct? Um, so she's I think only that's a few right, years yeah. older than um, Bao Yu and Dai Yu. And she, uh, but she's already, you know, she's a mature for her age. She's taking on this very, um, this very kind of managerial uh, role. Yeah. Um, and so she she has a lot of, a lot of things to do. She has like a very kind of routinized schedule, which um, was kind of alluded to in the cold open, where we got a glimpse, and, and Granny Leo got a glimpse of this kind of complicated system of bells and, and chimes and used to um, basically to orchestrate a whole bevy of of maids and servants who are engaged in semi-practical, semi-ritualistic tasks, kind of an everyday, uh, a heavily routinized, complex system. Uh, and so to have this variable, Granny Leo is a variable, they had to find the, the, you know, the perfect moment where, you know, there might be just a little bit of extra, extra time, uh, a space for her to, to fit into. 
Yeah, absolutely. I um I was just thinking back to the point about um the 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 sort of Buddha imagery because it does shine through in numerous places. But, but actually, just thinking about it at, at points, Hawks renders it more almost Christian in its in its uh, imagery. So there is a a section early on, I guess, where she explicitly refers to, I think the term is uh, Pusha or Pusa, which is a bodhisattva, I think, a sort of Buddhist figure, which Hawks translates as, I think, the good Lord or something something along those lines. Um, and then there's a section here where, uh, in this in this section, where they're, essentially Joel Ray has been, I guess, explaining that she can, at the appropriate time, present Granny Liu to uh, Wang Shifeng and to express her thanks or her, 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 her kind of happiness at this. Granny Liu says, Ami uh, Fu, which is, again, an, it's like a Buddhist uh, expression. And uh, that's rendered as, bless you, my dear, in, in, um, in the Hawks. So again, a kind of expressly sort of, well, sort of, I guess, a Christianized version of the same thing. Anyhow, so so, they have this initial chat, and Joel Ray's wife decides she can, you know, she can help. She can kind of set her up, I suppose, help make something happen. There was a section in here actually where Joel Ray's wife is talking about Wang Shifeng and how she's, you know, now running the household, uh, not like before. And I kind of wanted to highlight it because it is a really good illustration of just how kind of confusing the whole thing can be, and how, uh, when it comes to. Uh, all of the different familial relations. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. In the Hawks, it says, nowadays her ladyship doesn't run things here any longer. It's Master Lian's wife who does all the managing. You'll never guess who that is. Her ladyship's niece, Wang Shifeng. You know, her ladyship's eldest brother's daughter that we used to call Feng Ge when she was a child. And in the Chinese, it's Ni Da Liang, Lian, Er Nai Nai Shi So have a guess at who... Lian, i.e. Jia Lian's wife mm-hmm. is. So it's the ladyship's niece, exactly. But 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 there's a specific term for her being, I think, a, you know, niece through a particular a particular line, through a particular kind of familial branch, I suppose. And then it goes on to say, Da Jiu Lao Ye de Nuhar. So Da Jiu being uncle, Lao Ye being kind of a uh, term of respect for an older man, and then New being daughter. Uh, so, so I just uh, it's it's kind of it, it succinctly fits in a whole range of rather like bewildering different familial terms. Uh, and I and and you know I, I I think that that line is sort of throwaway in a way, but it's quite good in that it captures just how how kind of complex the the nature of these different interconnected familial relationships is. I think. Exactly. Yeah. As English speakers, we're not used to um, distinguishing uncles and cousins based on whether they're from the uh, a mother's line or a father's line. And so mm. we, we have these kind of these blanket terms that apply to a lot of different relationships, but in Chinese and in, in a lot of other uh, languages as well. Yeah. You have distinct terms uh, depending on, on which side of the, the family tree you find yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that kind of contributes to a, a little bit of the challenges of keeping all these characters straight. In addition to the fact that there is this kind of this, this intermarrying going on between these um, these lineages, yeah. it, it does really create for a lot of um, twisted branches. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so, yeah. So Wang Qifeng is married to Jia Lian, who is the son of Jia She, who's the older brother of Jia Zheng, who is the husband of Lady Wang, who is the mother of Jia Baoyu. Yeah, and who is also the right. not just the mother of not just the mother of Jia Baoyu, but the the aunt of Wang Qifeng. So where we started the right. circle, you know, through a different through a different family line is yeah. What also complicates things is that um, some of these familiar terms are being used as terms of um, of respect, mm-hmm. and so even though uh, Liu Lao Lao isn't actually um, directly um, related to this family, she's still going to use terms like um, she's going to refer to Wang Shifeng as Wang Nai Nai. Yeah, which is again, uh, it's a familiar. Th- term being used in the sense of seniority rather than actual um blood relation so yeah there's 
exactly that. There's a tremendous level of complexity in social distinction, be that familial or or uh, sort of class superiority based, um, which just I guess is deliberate. You know, it's it's on, on the part of the author anyway to kind of show us how how phenomenally yeah. complicated these these kind of society this kind of society is. But yeah, I can see that it does present something of a challenge when 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 translating into English, definitely. I don't want to scare listeners away. A lot of these details aren't entirely essential. Mm. I think the more important ones we're going to keep on harking back to as well. Yeah. It really is. I mean, the whole idea of the 300 characters, I think that makes it seem more difficult than it actually is. There really are a core cast of maybe maybe 20 or so characters that are really important. Mm-hmm. The best strategy here is just to take the punches in stride. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just keep, yeah. keep walking through it. So what happens here is basically... Having found Jorey's wife and explained her the reason for coming to her, Granny Liu and Jorey go off to find Wang Xifeng. But you know, to they they kind of sit and wait until the best time to uh, speak to her because there's obviously a certain time at which she kind of receives guests or you know hears hears you know petitions or, or complaints from people, and so they want to sort of capture exactly that time. And I mean, there's maybe two things that I particularly want to pick out here uh, in in this segment while they're waiting for Wang Xifeng. One is the the point which we which we mentioned in the cold open, which is the clock. And you know, I think that that's just it's a kind of s- sort of funny episode. It's almost cartoonish the idea of her, you know, the the loud dong of the clock and causing her eyeballs to kind of pop out of her head. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it just sort of serves to illustrate in 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 a by reference to material things rather than appearance or terms of address or or, or you know manner of speech, uh, but through actual things, the just just how big the gulf is between someone like Granny Liu, who lives in comparative poverty in the countryside, and the Jia clan generally, which has these you know expensive a thing like a clock, I suppose is I believe a, a kind of a clock with a swinging pendant is may well be a, a foreign. A kind of foreign, you know, it's it's something brought in by foreigners rather than having been. I I may be mistaken on that. I can't remember exactly, but uh, but yeah, I remember that interesting, yeah. there are a number of there are a number of things that would have been that would have come from overseas to China, uh, and therefore they would have been not just uncommon because they were expensive, but they would have been un- you know uncommon because they were actually you know foreign and, and and unusual in that respect. But yeah, so obviously she's never seen a clock before. She doesn't understand what the pendulum is, and when it starts ringing catches her enormously by surprise. And, and then the other thing I wanted to just touch on quickly is when she mistakes a maid for the mistress of the house. Yeah. I, I think we might actually just read the description from Hawks because it's quite good of uh, quite good at um, kind of explaining why she might make that mistake. Um, so let me just find it. Granny Liu looked at the silks and satins in which Patience was dressed, the gold and silver ornaments in her hair, her beauty of feature, which in every respect corresponded with what she had been told of Wang Shifeng and taking the maid for the mistress, was on the point of greeting her as Goara's aunt when Zhou Rei's wife introduced her as Miss Patience. Then, when Patience shortly afterwards addressed Zhou Rei's wife as Mrs. Zhou, she knew that this was no mistress but a very high-class maid. So this, I think, is, is, is quite like a good demonstration of the thing that we mentioned earlier, that turn of phrase, a hair from, a fa- a hair from, your, from one of their arms is, is thicker than you know, our waist kind of thing. If we're at the stage where the way the maids are dressed is so dazzling that they can be mistaken for for the actual, you know, the masters of the household, the masters and mistresses of the household. Uh, that, I think, really helps to just hammer home quite how different the circumstances of the Jia clan and the wrong household in particular is compared to those of, you know, Granny Liu, Goar, and all of them in the countryside. Which again maybe speaks to the um, the difficult, the ambiguous uh, relativity of this scenario, where we were wondering about uh, Jiabao Yu's relationship with the maid uh, Aroma or mm. Hua Xiren. You know who is exploiting whom in this circumstance. On one hand, you have someone in a very subordinate role. Even in that role, they're enjoying a considerable degree of luxury. Mm-hmm. 
it renders problematic a, a lot of these um, assumptions about uh, how hierarchies work, where we we think of um, hierarchies as being this this like linear sloping upward, but actually there's something more fractal going on, where it, it is the microcosm uh, kind of inverts some of the the macrocosmic um, general trajectories. Yeah. Although maybe this also speaks to what what Lung Zixing was talking about, where you know even the maids are are, are so um, opulent yeah. and excessive that this is a signal of the possible impending downfall of this uh, branch of the of the clan. Yeah, that was definitely my one of my thoughts reading this. Um, was um, they're like, help, we have no money. We're you know we're kind of on the verge of bankruptcy. Why is this happening? And then you have descriptions like that of just you know the ordinary household servants and and you kind of think well that might be a clue um <laughs> you know yeah right so maybe this is the instead of the overproduction of elites it's the yeah, overproduction of um an intermediate class or something yeah so uh, after this scene she there's this great kind of urgency when Wang Xifeng finally emerges and you know there's this, this kind of this great rush to get in front of her in time right right how about we give the description of Wang Shifeng? Do you want to lead off on that? Even in the English translation, it's a very a luxurious passage. So I'm hopefully I'll be able to uh, pronounce everything properly. So Wang Shifeng had on a little cap of red sable, which she wore about the house for warmth, fastened on with a pearl-studded bandeau, a sprigged peach spring gown with an ermine-lined skirt of dark red foreign crepe underneath it and a cloak of slate-blue silk with woven-colored insets and lining of gray squirrel around her shoulders. Her face was exquisitely made up. She was sitting on the edge of a kong, her back straight as a ramrod, with a diminutive pair of tongs in her hands, removing the spent charcoal from a portable hand warmer. Patience, Pingar, stood beside her carrying a covered teacup on a tiny inlaid lacquer tray. Shifeng appeared not to have noticed her, for she neither reached out for the cup nor raised her head, but continued picking absorbedly at her hand warmer. Uh, and so we have this very, uh, one of the trademark luxurious passages um, that we've seen before. It's definitely indicating to us that this is, not only is Wang Shifeng, you know, a character um, characterized by a kind of a managerial zeal, but also, she has a refined um, and, 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 I guess, arguably feminine uh, disposition. Yeah. I, I honestly feel like it's almost like a tongue twister, though. Uh, all of the sprigged peach. Uh, something about the, the difficulty of pronouncing it drives home the luxuriant quality of the, of the, the clothes that she's wearing. Yeah. Um, um, and not all but entirely translates into... I, I'm not sure how, how fashionable we would consider the, the squirrel lining but you know fashion is itself you know a, a very relative um phenomenon you want to talk at all about the brief interaction between jia rong and uh wang xifeng i do because i think the author is trying to um very consciously draw a a kind of dissimilarity between jia rong and um granny leo's relation yeah where you know in the case of Jarong, this is an actual blood tie, mm -hmm. and he refers to her as as auntie, and she refers to him as a nephew. Yeah, um, and it's the same auntie that uh, uh, Liu Laolao refers to Wang Shifeng as, but in her case, it has the meaning of, of status and class and, yeah. and, and social positioning. Yeah. At the same time that um, Granny Liu uh, uses nephew to refer to uh, Banar. Yeah. In the same way that Wang Shifeng uses nephew to refer to Jiarong. Yeah. Yeah. But, but again, in the case of Jiarong, it's an actual nephew, whereas um, in the latter case of, of Banar, it's, it's very much grasping for a kind of familial relationship that doesn't actually um, exist. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, to the extent that uh, Pingar or uh, Patience actually kind of calls, calls Granny out for kind of presumptuously um, using that term. It's at the very end of the chapter. And so I, I think that's some of the, I, I think it's the purpose of, of why we have this juxtaposition. Yeah, I think, I think that that's, that sounds right. You know, it's, it's, it's an interesting passage because, it, you know, it, when we look at Granny Liu, what she's had to do to get an audience with Wang Xifeng is, you know, 
travel a long way, get misdirected, have to kind of bow and scrape and, you know, and beg and plead just to get in front of her. And while she's finally getting the chance to kind of, you know, make her case, Jarong just comes kind of swooping in, easy as you like, um, to ask for something as well. In this case, he's asking for a kind of ornate glass screen that he wants to use. And Wang Shifeng initially says, oh, no, you know, I've lent it to someone else. You can't have it. And then she relents and reveals that, yes, she does have it, but she's worried that he will break it, but eventually yes. agrees to give it to him. Um, mm-hmm. but, you know, but, you know, with the with the caveat that if he even slightly chips it, she will be most displeased. Um, um, but, but uh, you know, he comes in asking for something. He does it with great ease. He interrupts the the um, the conversation between Granny Liu and, and Wang Xifeng. And he manages to get it through a bit of kind of good-natured wheedling. And then we kind of have Granny Leo, by contrast, having to, you know, you know, she's asking for something as well. But in this case, it's, it's kind of money to, to, to feed her, to, you know, pay for food for her family. And this is the context in which Granny Leo uses the expression, um, basically, uh, like Wang Shifeng is making these kind of, um, these, self-deprecatory gestures speaking about how you know the household has um has been trying to cut back on spending yeah and how they've been unable to visit a lot of their relatives and how their own relatives on account of their you know supposedly diminished prosperity don't visit as much as they used to yeah um and this is where granny leo uses the expression um a starved camel is bigger than a fat horse yeah uh, which is again back into this weird. Um, she's using these agricultural metaphors, um, but but in this case, the the starved camel is the illustrious uh, wrong household. Yeah, and and yeah, like, uh, again, it's 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 you know comparable to the you know a single hair from your arm is thicker than our waists kind of mm-hmm. um, that sort of metaphor. This, this. But she seems to have almost mixed together the because uh, it's almost like the donkey, the um, the the thin donkey with the the hard shit, and now we have a a starved camel, yeah, and, and now we have the the hair from the waist, and, and so she's kind of like all, all these metaphors are just uh, like overlapping in, in this really um, very unesthetic, yeah, kind of uh, very jarring manner, yeah. Uh, and, and I think it's really intended as this whole chapter comes across as um, partly a social commentary, but partly, uh, I think, uh, a kind of comic relief. Yeah. What do you think about that interpretation? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I just do think it's fascinating as a, the contrast of rich and poor and, you know, nobility and, 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 and peasantry. It's, it's kind of fascinating. Uh, you know, while she's using these terms, these, you know, starved camel is bigger than a than a than a horse than a fat horse etc um it says that joe ray's wife is kind of horrified at the uh vulgar or crude language that she's using and is signaling yes. for her to stop so you can sort of imagine her standing off to one side out of out of the line of sight of um wang Feng, but but visible to granny leo just kind of you know gesturing like making the kind of cutthroat gesture for example, like, you know. Yes, exactly. That's <laughs> exactly what I'm imagining. Yeah. And, and I think maybe because Joe Ray is at a lower social station, she's more um, she's more sensitive to these remarks than Wang Shifeng is. Mm. Wang Shifeng seems to think that it's it's kind of amusing, whereas Joe Ray, maybe because she, you know, maybe she lifted herself up out of comparable circumstances, that she, like, she has this deep embarrassment she really she seems to feel it more deeply than than Wang Shifang, which I, I think might be an artifact of her own lower social status, maybe. And so we basically we, we've covered a lot of the. Long story short, she gets twenty tails of silver. Yeah. My sense is that because she hasn't come in a while, and maybe it, it is this could be maybe interpreted as an a kind of act of generosity on the part of Wang Shifang. I think so. Yeah. Who I think is a, a fairly complex character. 